Call from mom. Answer it. Call silenced. Instacart knows nothing gets between you and the game. That's why they make ordering from your couch easy. Stock up today and get all your groceries for the week delivered in as fast as 30 minutes without missing a minute of the game. You have 47 new voicemails. Download the app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. T-Mobile has invested billions to light up America's largest 5G network from big cities to small towns, including right here in yours. And great coverage is just the beginning. Right now, families and small businesses can save up to 20% versus AT&T and Verizon when they switch. Visit your local T-Mobile store today. Plan savings with three lines of T-Mobile essentials versus comparable available plans. Plan features and taxes and fees may vary. The Bob Cordaro Show Podcast. Somebody texted in. I hear that the Wagner Group's battle song is Putin singing Blueberry Hill. <laughs> LTS back at you. Jake's working on uh, getting that up because uh, <laughs> it is funny one. I'm telling you. So somebody texted in. Small town is not specific to small towns, meaning the Jason Aldean song. It's a mindset of community, neighborhoods, and respect. Choosing not to be a victim and maintaining decency and ensuring safety. Thank you, Scranton Times. Please listen. Well, now they can't. They're incapable. That's why it's an awful paper. That's why it's failing. Because they're incapable of listening to that kind of common sense. And before we go to Monday Musings, I want to mention our veterans for today. John P- uh, Padani, Freeland, born Hazelton, U.S. Air Force and turning the, uh, attaining the rank of sergeant. And then he became an Air Force Reserve, and he was employed as a supervisor at Toby Hanna Army Depot. Paul Dominic Pittston, U.S. Naval Reserves after high school. Then he worked at Toby Hanna Army Depot. 38 years, finance and accounting officer. Went on to teach at military bases all over the place about finance. He was the educator of the year for the Army in 1994. Wife Loretta and children. Mark Latinsky, Wilkes-Barre, Army veteran, railroader, preceded in death by his wife, Carol. Harold Thrash, born Hazelton, truck driver. Member of the Tin Can Sailors, Veterans Organization of Navy Sailors, who served on destroyers. His wife of 69 years survives him, Selma. Walter Williams, Wilkes-Barre, served his country in the U.S. Navy in the Korean conflict, 53 to 56. Also employed for the U.S. Navy after that for 22 years, retiring in 1973. His wife of 66 years, Dolores, survives him. Sons and daughters as well. Bob Naparstek. Born Brooklyn, U.S. Army as intelligence analyst. Often commented on the oxymoron Army intelligence. 
That's our veterans for today. So we do this thing called Monday Musings. And our friend John Perillo, Navy guy, U.S. Naval Academy graduate, which is uh, one of the things that made him so intelligent. But he's he's really a good, and I, I'll I'll say great historian. When he goes on to a story, he really really bites into it. And we had this, I don't know, faux coup by the leader of the Wagner Group, which was a paramilitary organization set up by Putin to go around the army. Even Putin knew how bad the military was. And he used them in places like Africa and Syria to do things that the army just wasn't capable of doing because of bureaucracy. And we see how well they're doing in Ukraine, just for example. But uh, John Perillo is here to talk to us about that. John, welcome. Great to have you back. Hey, how you doing, Bob? Good to talk to you. Yeah. Tell us you, about this. You, Am I characterizing it properly that it's sort of uh, Putin's own paramilitary? It was Putin's own paramilitary was. organization. Yes. Hey, and I'm sorry, Bob. There's a uh, another story going in the background uh, on my headphones. Do you hear it right now? No. Or your okay, maybe for your engineer, you could try to cut that. Yeah, I, uh, I'm sorry about that. We 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 heard about that from one of our callers, but it, we're not hearing it on our end. Okay, all right. Just, well, just, I'll just let Jake. He's getting some feedback. If I don't hear you talking, um, yeah, he's getting some on, feedback. Right? So, right. um, so, yeah, um, the, as Bob alluded to, first of all, um, the, the naval academy didn't make me intelligent. I, I I majored in graduation and barely survived that. So, um, but. <laughs> It, it was, I'm, I'm glad to have survived that. But as Bob well, alluded to, this more, is very more interesting. So, more so combat veteran. <laughs> yeah, well, all right, I appreciate that. Hey, Bob, I apologize. I'm going to have to call you right back. I can't hear you. All right. Can you give me like two minutes? I'll call please, you right back. Please, please call back. Right, please bye, call bye, back. Bye, bye. Uh, I don't know what the – Jake, we're having some – he's having – one of our other callers also had uh, feedback issues. I don't know why they would have those, but uh, they are. And uh, so he's going to call back. Uh, and Jake, let's find Blueberry Hill now. We got to find Blueberry Hill. <laughs> Putin's, there it is. Putin's rendition of Blueberry Hill. <laughs> See, this goes back to my theory of the slapper. If you could get somebody, I don't care if it's as bad as Hitler or Stalin or Putin or Mao. Or Xi Jinping, if someone would publicly slap them hard across the face, I don't think they would have ever risen to power. So when Putin's singing this song, he gets a crack right across the face by the slapper. I I don't think he causes many much problem. All right. As we continue to be serenaded, we go to back to John Perillo, and hopefully, <laughs> hopefully, we are cleared up now, John. You are, you are, Bob, and I. I'm just glad you didn't ask me to to, to sing myself. I was getting a little nervous. I mean, the only thing I could think of would be better than what you had would be Mel Brooks doing it, you know, in, uh, in, in one of his. So he loves uh, Blueberry anyway, Hill, our guy, our guy Putin. Exactly. Yeah. Well, I, I got to apologize. So I, I, we're back. Um, 
Bob had a great lead into this. The, the entire Wagner Rebellion needs to be looked at in, a, in its historical context. And as always, and I apologize if I missed this uh, to your listeners, I didn't, I didn't have this research when we first reported this, and I apologize. I did some more work, and I found some more information, and I thought you, you would find this interesting. So there have been some reports that Pergozin, this leader of the Wagner Group, has been seen traveling to St. Petersburg and elsewhere in Russia. Heck, he, you know, he let, he let a coup, right? And, and, and you know, the, in addition to that, he met with uh, Putin, and it doesn't seem like the normal way we would treat a coup leader. So I guess the question we need to ask is, what if what we saw wasn't really a coup? And so on June 23rd, just some, some historical background, Pergozin, the leader of the Wagner Group, he announced the start of what he called his March for Justice. And, we, and again, we talked about this before, but it was a bit bizarre because the press reported it as either a mutiny or a coup. The Wagner Group closes on Moscow. They stop. And then I was a bit amazed, to be blunt. It made no sense. But as usual, you know, with the press, they kind of missed the point, too. And Russia actually has a history of this sort of thing. Um, and so there is a certain logic to Pogosin's march and the fact that he backed off, given that history and the way the uh, traditional Russian method of petitioning the czar. So it's critical to understand that in the history of these petitioners in Russia, as in elsewhere, the, they're not there to challenge the power of the czar. And the czar, in this case, in our analogy, is Putin. And again, historically, these petitioners, and I don't want to call them protesters anymore because that's not what they were, what they actually do is they confirm the czar's authority. They're not challenging it. So the exact opposite of what I thought. And so it's entirely possible that what Pergozin did will eventually destabilize the Putin regime, but that was likely not his intent. And Pergozin's not a sympathetic character, but he is a historically astute guy. He is a traditionalist, and he believes in Russian power. And so the actions that he took we need to be, need to be looked at in that light. So for your listeners, um, if, we, if we think about what happened on June 23rd and 24th as the Wagner March is a petition to Putin that has a history that goes back before the Communist Revolution in 1917 and the state collapse in 1991. And from the Tsar days, through the Communist days and into today, Russia has always put a great deal of power in single persons. Think of people like the Tsars, Stalin, Khrushchev, Putin. They were all autocrats. And before, during, and after the Communist season, none of these rulers would have had to consult anyone before invading another country, right? So the, the fact that, that Putin invaded uh, Ukraine is not what caused this rebellion, right? That's the nature of autocratic regimes. That's what they did. That's what happened. And because this is Monday Musings, now it's time for a little bit of background. And for centuries, Russians have written petitions to their country's leaders to gain his, or I guess in the 18th century, her favor, and they were not protests in the traditional sense. In Moscovy, which is the name of the Russian Empire, and then eventually the Russian Empire, the illiterate pe peasants, which was most of the population, would find somebody that they knew how to, how to write and to put their complaints into writing. And then these historically, these, these uh, rural communities would send these delegations of walkers, because they were rural and it was Russian, Russia's huge, and they would literally walk their petitions to the capital. If this sounds familiar, it should, because this is exactly what Progrosian was knew and was doing. This is the historical context of what he was doing. The, so even historically, they would sometimes go a step further. And in order to, to make sure that the czar knew that they were serious about what was going on, on occasion, some of these peasants would attack one of the local officials of the ruler. Right. So, you know, if you think about, you know, you have Putin sitting in 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 his throne in Moscow, you have all these little 
dynasties around the country that are run by essentially mini warlords, but you know, it's a kleptocracy. It's whoever's stealing from who. So these peasants back in the czar days, and even today, what they would do is they would sometimes they'd rough up somebody to say, Hey, they're trying to send a message to the czar. Um, and they would do that to point out to the autocrat that the local person was failing to execute the benevolent will of the autocrat. Right. Think and of it and, in, terms and of, in this case, it's the military that the Wagner group has a problem with because they're not getting exactly. logistic support. Uh, they feel they're being disrespected. And right. Putin's their natural ally. He created them. <laughs> exactly right. And, and there was actually a book written about the subject called Rebels in the Name of the Tsar, a book by a guy named Daniel Fields, which, of course, I discovered after you know, this whole thing. But this also happened to, to Z in China. Remember that it wasn't communism that was bad in China. It was the corruption of the local officials. And in fact, the Tiananmen Square uh, massacre, the protest was really a protest against corruption, not a cry for freedom, in part because the, the Chinese wouldn't understand the concept of Western freedom that like we talk about. It. But anyway, back to Russia. It wasn't just the pe- peasants who petitioned the government. It, throughout the Soviet Union, throughout the Tsar days, Citizens from all demographics, workers, intellectuals, peasants, would send appeals to people like Lenin or Stalin or his successors, and they would travel to Moscow to present their petitions directly to the leader. Before the Pogosin affair, uh, even under Putin, these, peti- these petitions would go on. And in 2008, uh, the peasants from all over, like a dozen Russian regions, set out for Moscow to inform, uh, it was Medved at that point, uh, of what was going on in their villages, right? They were they were they were being stolen from the the the, the kleptocracy had gotten out of hand, um, and so that was that kind of thing that they were protesting was not a challenge to the authority of uh, Medved, uh, Dmitry Medved at that time. It was just to inform him what was going on. So, uh, and and then in these protests, a lot of the protesters use the right, use a very clever use of language. Um, so, for instance, when the intellectuals were, were petitioning the old Soviet czars, they weren't being, you know, they were being, they weren't actually trying to be subordinate, but their language was subordinate. They were, they were very differential. Um, same thing with the peasants, right? They would say things like, we know that um, the czar is unaware of what is going on in his area because otherwise he would never let this happen, you know, that kind of thing. So even if the, you know, Stalin was aware that the pre- repression was being carried out in his name, but the, but the peasants assumed that he wasn't. You know, unlike the New York Times, that, you know, Stalin actually knew what was going on. Or they thought so, it was wise to pretend. <laughs> yeah, okay, that might be better, right? Yeah. So, um, so Pergozin's not some naive character here, right? But hopefully this history helps us understand what this march is about and helps us put some of his recent appearances in context. And remember that during his march, Progosian issued a number of appeals, right? So every day he would say something different, and they were addressed to different audiences. And the first was to the generals in the regular army. And as Bob alluded to, he called out their horrible performance, the fact that they were feeding his troops to the slaughter, and the fact that the rest of the military had no logistic support and, you know, security services were, were a mess, right? Then he calls, then his, the next day he calls on the military and these same security services and the National Guard to join him or stand down because they're poorly led. And then on the, like it was the third day, he talked to the Russian people and offered, you know, uh, he wanted them to support him and give him leverage. And his primary, the primary audience of this whole thing was Putin. Right? It, was, it was nobody but Putin. And remember, that was Putin, as Bob talk, told you, he put him in, it was Putin who put Prigozhin in charge. 
And he, and it was Perosian who hadn't been able to get an audience with Putin for months. And that was another one of the complaints, by the way. And in that sense, Perosian chose to put on this performance, if you will, for Putin's ve- uh, benefit. And yes, he used the social messaging app, Telegram and video, but historically he follows all these rules of being subordinate to Putin in his appeals, um, to focusing his frustration on the military leaders. I think the guy's name is Shoigu and Gerasmikov, right? Um, and who and Bergozin and accuses those two guys of misleading Putin into launching this full-scale invasion of Ukraine. But he never says Putin's wrong. He says he was misled. Um, and then again, he talks about his own forces as being the true patriots because they shed their blood in Ukraine. Uh, his, his exact quotes here, and I'm going to I'm air quoting them because it is Perosian, the selfish sacrifice for the motherland. Um, and, and that quote would have been used by the veterans of old in their past petitions to, uh, to, to, to Stalin, for instance. Right. So and the other thing here is, is it's important to understand that the petitioner in this case, Perosian in Russia, is by definition not a revolutionary. And Prigozhin, in this case, has no desire to be a revolutionary. Now, that doesn't mean that what he did doesn't challenge the authority of Putin. And we don't know what the long-term historical consequences well, that's, might and, be. And, and John again, Paul, we, we've got to take a break, but I, when we come back, if you could hang with us, uh, I, I want to give me your conclusions. Yes, this sir. was, But I guess you're telling us this was not, nor was it ever intended to be a coup against Vladimir Putin. Correct. We'll talk about consequences next. Yeah. Let's talk about the consequences of what happened, the potential consequences at any rate. John Perillo, Monday Musings, will return on the Bob Cadaro Show after this. We are back. Bob Cadaro with you. If you remember, you hear that conversation. Apollo 15 crew members David Scott and James Irwin became the first astronauts to use a lunar rover on the surface of the moon. And that's something. And if Call from mom. Answer it. Call silenced. Instacart knows nothing gets between you and the game. That's why they make ordering from your couch easy. Stock up today and get all your groceries for the week delivered in as fast as 30 minutes without missing a minute of the game. You have 47 new voicemails. Download the app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. T-Mobile has invested billions to light up America's largest 5G network from big cities to small towns, including right here in yours. And great coverage is just the beginning. Right now, families and small businesses can save up to 20% versus AT&T and Verizon when they switch. Visit your local T-Mobile store today. Plan savings with three lines of T-Mobile Essentials versus comparable available plans. Plan features and taxes and fees may vary. Baseball is in full swing. NBA playoffs are heating up. And your NFL team is gearing up for training camp. Listen to the latest on the teams you love here on the Odyssey app. The biggest sports radio stations in the country providing unrivaled local coverage of their teams all in one place. Exclusive interviews with players, coaches, and team executives streaming live and always available on demand. Stay in the know with your favorite teams right here on the Odyssey app. Of course, uh, hey, Jude, after uh, two sessions, the Beatles recorded Hey, Jude at the Trident Studios in London for my cousin Tommy P. 
couple of quick things. I want to go right back to um, John Perillo to to wrap up Monday Musings. But I want to talk about this yellow trucking shutdown and what it might possibly mean. And then Fauci, irrev- uh, unmistakably proven to be a liar in front of Congress. We'll talk about that as well. But John Perillo, tell me the implications you see from this uh, Wagner Group dust-up. Right. So, and again, as always, Monday Musings, some historical context. In January of 1905, a Russian priest named Gregory Gappen led a group of, of laborers, uh, his assembly of Russian factory workers, to the Winter Palace, which was the Tsar's residence in St. Petersburg. And the father, at that, this priest, uh, and his union deliver a petition to Nicholas II. And in that case, the Tsar was not sympathetic. He was very upset about it. Uh, he orders his soldiers and police to fire on the demonstrators. And he kills about 130 of them in what's called Bloody Sunday, which led to mass strikes, social unrest, uh, and ultimately the revolution of 1905, which results in this limited constitutional order and eventually sows the seeds for the Russian Communist Revolution. So these things have a history of going badly. And the czar delivers the verdict on what he hears. And interestingly enough, in this particular case, in the, in the, in the response to the march, Putin actually draws a connection between Prigozhin's mutiny, if you will, and the intrigues, and this is Putin's words now, intrigue, squabbles, and politicking of 1917 that, again, Putin's words, that led to the destruction of the army and the collapse of the state and the loss of huge territories, including, at the time, Ukraine. So Putin himself is thinking in terms of 1917, which which should bother us a little bit, and in terms of the history of these kind of marches. Um, so, uh, while, so, Prigozhin, so Prigozhin makes his march uh, to Putin for reasons of you know, personal and military expediency, and, he, and Putin appears to have granted Prigozhin some clemency because of this historical context, in part because, as Bob said, Russia needs the Wagner military capabilities in Ukraine as well as in Africa and the Middle East, and Russia appears to have you know, Putin appears to have concluded that Prigozhin's arrest or execution would threaten that relationship. And, you know, so that's – and then you'll hear that Putin even talked about how he met with Prigozhin and he – and again, in Putin's words, heard out the commanders. So, again, he's listening to this protest. So the risk here, the, because Bob's asking, you know, what, what comes in the future, for Putin is that Putin may have moved a little bit too quickly towards forgiveness, and that might su- suggest weakness instead of compassion – and only time's really going to tell how that's going to happen. But again, for your listeners, you now have the background to understand this otherwise kind of bizarre act. You know, it's you know, Russia's always been an autocratic nation. That the, the nature of that autocracy has changed from the Tsar days to the to the Stalin and Lenin days to to today. But it's always been a, uh, an autocratic nation. And the petitioners, um, that's that's Prigozhin's, you know, his fate lies in the hand of the autocrat who is Putin, right? Whatever Putin decides to do with Prigozhin, that's what's going to happen. And as always in an autocratic nation, you know, Putin might choose a wholly different script if it serves his interests, whether in Moscow or Ukraine. So we still, it's still all up to Putin. But now you have a little bit of the historical context as to what happened during that march and why Prigozhin is being treated with some deference 
and what the implications of those marches in the past have been, including the revolution in 1917. So hopefully that helps. I, I think I think he'd get worse treatment uh, from the Biden administration than uh, he's gotten from <laughs> than he's gotten yeah, in this case yeah, from I'll Putin. Let you handle that. Yeah. Yeah. So, well, look, yeah, John okay. Perillo, thank you as always, my friend. I appreciate it. We look forward to next week. And uh, we uh, enjoy your elucidation of this issue. Good stuff, as always. Hey, Bob, great talking to you. Hope you have a great day. You take care. <laughs> right. We'll take a break. We'll come back. Jake will have the weather. We'll play Jason Aldean and then come back to you. That is, uh, you got a friend. Number one easy listening charts hit this date, 1971. Bob Cadero back with you. Thank you to our veterans, veterans we lost. John Padani, Bob Naparstek, Walter Williams, Harold Thrash, Mark Latinsky, and Paul Dominic. We'll talk a little bit more about them again later. Bob Cadaro back with you here on WIOK. Well, a bunch of you texted in and thank you. The coup we never knew. That's Jim and Bloomsbury letting us uh, in on that. And a bunch of you did on that. So thank you. Somebody takes in. Did, Bob, uh, did anyone tell ABC News Biden won the presidency? And he is the presidency? He is the president? They have written more BS stories on Trump. And the only stories for Biden are on how well he is doing for every person in this country. Dear Lord, make it stop, please. ABC News. <laughs> What are you going to do? What are you going to do? It's what is. The news business led by the New York Times, and you can't say this enough because there's still people reading things like the New York Times, reading the Washington Post, watching network news, PBS, et al., CNN, MSNBC, and they don't recognize that what New York Times said in an open editorial meeting, listen, we let Trump get elected by telling the truth and telling the news. We can't do that anymore. Our job is to save the country from Donald Trump and conservatives and Republicans. And so... We're going to pursue an agenda, not the news, anymore. And that's what they do. And that's why they are rapidly falling out of favor with the majority of Americans. Because even someone on the left doesn't want to be lied to. They want the news and they want to make the decision themselves. I've told you, I said, my since starting here on WILK, what, three years ago almost? Uh, I, I, I watch MSNBC and, and uh, CNN less and less. The network's even less. Because you, you can't get all the stories. You can never hear about the, the border. You seldom hear about crime. They don't cover the Biden corruption story. So you're uninformed if, you, if that's what you watch. You're ignorant. And by the way, it's reflected on those who call to defend the Biden administration and the Democrat Party. 
They're ignorance. Yeah, it's a it's a crazy thing. It really is. I, if they went back to to doing the news, it might take a little while, but they could regain credibility, viewership, all the things they crave. But right now, the agenda is primarily what they're after and what they're pursuing, not the news. All right. Bob Cadaro, W-I-L-K. We'll come back. More to come. Gene Knight, number one R&B hit with Mr. Big Stuff, this date in 1971. Bob Cadaro back with you on W. I-L-K. Yeah, Mark Mayer also, the coup we never knew. And and he, he was one of the guys who sent it to me, so he knows the title of that. The coup we never knew. Real, poli- real clear politics, I believe it was. But you'll find it. The coup we never knew. Victor Davis Hanson, VDH. But Mr. Big Stuff from Gene Knight brings us back. Now... Bob, we must talk about it thousands of times. Bidenomics or any other economy cannot function properly with high energy costs, $4 a gallon gas. You're right. And that is intentional, by the way. Just so you know, just so you know, he intended to punish you for using your car and to damage the environment by promoting... Battery-powered cars, which will require more coal for the power plants, which power the cars and the batteries. (laughs) And then we don't know what the hell to do with the batteries. Just remember this. If you're in a pinch, the Democrat Party today, run by the left-wing lunatics, owned by the left-wing lunatics, is wrong about everything. That'll make it easier. They're wrong about everything. So if they take a position, okay, you you know automatically it's wrong. By the way, we want to thank our uh, hourly sponsors, Dunmore Lumber Company, 622 South Blakely Street, Dunmore. And that's the place to beat the big box blues. See the gang at Dunmore Lumber. And the Marjon Golf Course. Cutie and I there's Friday for happy hour. The gang came in from the golf course. We didn't even golf. That's how good that pavilion is. That's how good the food was. Just hung out a couple hours, had some food, enjoyed ourselves, and went home. Good stuff, the Marjon. It's everything I tell you and more. And a great gang up there, too, I might add. But, uh, yeah, I, Ellen Barkin, she's played a couple of good roles here and there. Um, she said she did this, this Hitler comparison <laughs> with Trump. I mean, it's like, you say to yourself, are they this stupid? Just remember, they're wrong about everything. Just remember that. (laughs) So when they're bloviating, 
They are wrong. Remember it. It'll be an easy guide. We'll be back after Bloomberg. Don't you think time moves slower years ago? I know it did when we were young. I mean, the summer seemed almost endless. And then you got hit in the mush by going back to school and all that. But it's uh, July 31st. And on this date, 1972, Chicago released their great song, Saturday in the Park. And before that, you heard President George H.W. Bush, a, a good president, other than the tax increase that he foolishly cost himself the presidency on. But he and Soviet President Mikhail Gorbachev signed the Strategic Arms Reduction Treaty, START, in Moscow. And you heard his voice. So I said we would talk about it a bit. Um, Fauci. Now, the bloom is completely off that rose. He's now essentially a traitorous, bureaucratic fool and liar. His lies have been exposed and juxtapositioned And it's what I told you was the cause of it. Think of what any bureaucrat does. They're just just like children. He wanted to deflect from the Wuhan lab leak theory because he knew he'd indirectly funded the Wuhan lab. And it's now exposed in emails that they all knew it was... Uh, a manufactured genetic issue, meaning gain-of-function research, which he lied in Senate and House that it was not taking place and that we did not fund it. And he knew both of those statements to be false. He's a liar, he's a reprobate, and he caused untold suffering in this country with this exaggerated, crazy response to the COVID-19 issue. I don't call it the crisis because they created the crisis. Oh, the illness was real enough, but its fatality was very limited. And yet... They perpetrated all these myths. They created all this confusion, all the lockdowns, all the masking nonsense, all of it. They just lied. And he's caught. Second issue I mentioned earlier. Yellow trucking. You've seen those trucks. They've been around forever. They've shut down. Closed. Finite. One of the largest trucking firms in the country. We're going to keep looking at that during this week. The implications are interesting. We shall see. But but we, we've got to talk about it uh, because it, it. I don't know quite what it means yet. I've got to read about it. Uh, I don't get my Wall Street Journal today. Because uh, they don't, it's the same delivery people as the Scranton Times, and the Scranton Times doesn't do a print edition on Monday. 
Hmm. I wonder why the Scranton Times is failing. <laughs> because no one wants to listen to Chris Kelly, maybe? <laughs> no one wants to listen to left-wing lies. It's a fascinating thing. Thanks to Dunmore Lumber Company. Beat the Big Bok Blues at Dunmore Lumber and the Marjon Golf Course. It's more than golf, believe me. Juggo Jack entertaining on Friday night, and they were fabulous. All right, Brian Hughes, he's ready for action. He's going to give you the news. I might as well say it. The news with Brian Hughes right now. The Bob Cordaro Show Podcast. We really need new phones. T Mobile will cover the cost of four amazing new iPhone 15s, and each line is only $25 a month. New iPhone 15s? It's better over here. Only at T Mobile get four iPhone 15s on us and four lines for $25 per line per month with eligible trade in when you switch. Minimum of four lines for $25 per line per month with auto pay discount using debit or bank account. $5 more per line without auto pay, plus taxes and fees. Phone fee at 24 monthly bill credits for all well qualified customers. Contact us before canceling account to continue bill credits or credit stop and balance on required finance agreement due. $35 per line connection charge applies. Ctmobile.com. Hey, Rob Bradford here. I have set out on a mission with my good friends at FanDuel to prove what I have known for some time. Baseball isn't boring. Now I have a daily podcast to prove it with some of the most notable people in the baseball world screaming baseball isn't boring from the mountaintops or at least agreeing to come on our show. Players, managers, GMs, and yes, even the commissioner of baseball, Rob Manfred. It has been a constant wave of baseball's most powerful voices. So join the revolution. Subscribe and soak in baseball isn't boring. Listen on your Odyssey app or wherever you get your podcast. You'll be glad you did.